back to another episode of T-10. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick, and this is the show about the future of education and healthcare. I just had a great conversation with uh, the CEO and one of the co-founders of AvoMD, Dr. Yair Saperstein. I'm excited for you all to, to take a listen. Uh, what they're building is incredibly cool. It's squarely in the area that we at Icona are building. They are far ahead of anything we've seen from our partners and uh, always fun to connect with them and cross paths. But uh, first and foremost, something we didn't actually discuss in our conversation uh, that we had connected on before is why AvoMD, where does it come from? You, you might've seen avocados if you've ever checked out their website or been to a conference. Uh, it's very cool branding. But there's one little nugget we got from Yair as we were talking, and that is an apple a day keeps the doctor away, while an avocado a day keeps the doctor fresh. And if you know anything about just-in-time education for clinicians, that is entirely where AvoMD is building. But without further ado, I do want to introduce Dr. Yair Saperstein, who is the co-founder and CEO of AvoMD, a no-code platform for shareable clinical decision support. He is a board-certified internal medicine and clinical informatics physician affiliated with Mount Sinai Hospital and graduated SUNY Downstate Internal Medicine and Masters of Public Health. He's also a member of Alpha Omega Alpha and graduated from Albert Einstein College of Medicine with distinction in research and global health and from Yeshiva College as valedictorian. Impressive guy. Previously, Dr. Saperstein's co-founded two education-based Nonprofit organizations start science and teach. Yair is an acclaimed classical concert pianist and ukulele jammer and has won numerous awards, including the Jewish Week's 36 under 36 most influential Jewish Americans. We'll see if we can even add one of his musical talents to the show notes. We'll see what we can find. But without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Yair Saperstein co-founder and CEO of AvoMD. Yair, welcome. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Tim. Thank you for coming on the show. I, I want to I want to start the same way I always start for founders on this show, and that is, what is your why? Why are you building what you're building? Yeah, I come from a family of uh, clinicians, mostly physicians. You know, you take a look at the family chat and you'll see there's about 18 physicians that are currently part of the chat. So for me growing up, wow. you know, it was a big push towards, yes, you'll be involved in medicine, not because it's something that you had to do, but just something that was part of the familial charm. But for me, as I was going through medical school and going through residency, it wasn't about, okay, what kind of clinician am I going to be? It was more about how can I think about my family in the context of myself? How can I how can I help the community? Because the community is my family. And so, you know, as I was going through some of the issues that I was facing, and I always had an approach of, okay, what what are the problems that I can solve? These are things that really took to my heart because I wanted to be able to solve them on a broader level, not just for me. And, you know, as I was going through residency, I really had the feeling that I was being burdened by all of the clinical information that I was supposed to know and learn and constantly stay abreast of where it was constantly growing at a pace that was faster than I could keep up with. 
And, you know, I had my little tricks. I had an index card that I would keep for every different clinical scenario. I would write out my little algorithms. And it was different for every hospital system, different for every clinic that I worked in and different every place that I rotated. And I became a little smarter about it. I made it digital for myself. I took pictures of it on my phone so that I can access it whenever <laughs> I need it. You know, I'm walking down the hallway to the patient and, you know, they got COPD. I'm going to pull up my COPD algorithm. They have, uh, you know, high blood pressure in the context of CKD. I'm going to open up that algorithm. And so I, I kept these little notes for myself on my phone so that it's easily accessible. And then it came into something which I can make shareable. I sent these pictures to other people. You know, so now it's shareable decision support that's digital. And this is really just so that I would have access to it. But I, I wanted to be able to support my uh, fellow residents and started sharing it with the family also, of course. And then as it mm -hmm. continued, uh, you know, really, I had a chance to be able to address this in a way that was more sustainable. It wasn't just me building it out, but I could do this together with another friend. I met uh, my co-founder, PJ, at the Department of uh, Biomedical Informatics at Columbia. And he said in his spare time, he was building basically this system for the last bunch of years in a way that would allow for others to contribute to these algorithms in a way that's no code. You don't need programming language. So like me, you can write out the algorithms or type in the algorithms and then have it in a way that can be sustainable. So for me and the issues that I was going through, you know, it was how can I stay abreast of all of this overwhelming info for what I need just in time for the right patient in the context of what I'm doing with them, in the context of the system that I'm working for to give them value and not get burnt out myself. And then it became, how can I allow others to do the same thing? So this is, this is so cool for a number of reasons. Number one, you have the world's best family beta users. I can't believe <laughs> you, 18 to 20 people, you can just say on a whim, hey, what do you think? Um, so that's very cool. And I know I have the, the fortune of knowing a bit about what you're building because we've crossed paths so many times from startup health and competitions and all kinds of fun community events. But uh, one question I, I often hear talked about among whether it's on deck groups or on Twitter or on LinkedIn, is the number of clinicians who make the decision to build something. And whether it's part-time or full-time to make the leap, it's a big decision. It's kind of a pull. A lot of them describe it as, hey, I want to do something that I found I was doing for myself that added a ton of value that others could contribute towards or that it was adding value to their, their own lives and improving their workflows and their point of care. How did you, I'd love to hear you kind of talk about, and I want to understand you are full time. Are you still doing any time with patients, uh, practicing? Can you talk through that, that aspect of your life and how you kind of balance either the transition or how you spend your time on Avalon and do? Yeah. So at the point in the story, we were up to the shareable decision support, right? And so together with this co-founder, you know, I was still in the middle of residency and we had built this system that can really help us. He was a fellow in uh, informatics and clinical informatics. And at the time I was an internal medicine resident and then progressing a little bit further. It was OK. You know, I became a chief resident and it really became an education tool. How can I have my residents continue to learn with this tool in a way that didn't mean to be a business, didn't mean to be an organization? It was just how can I not just teach myself, but now teach others through this tool? And as I progressed, 
you know, at first I thought I was going to go to informatics fellowship and I was going to practice and uh, I helped the system transition to Epic. So I was involved in some informatics work. Then we went through COVID, you know, instead of being in charge of 30 clinicians, I was in charge of 400 clinicians and they're not internal medicine residents. They're peds and ortho and coming in from all over into Brooklyn to be able to help out. And that was really a changing uh, experience. There's one that led me to continue to really think in my mind that I want to be able to have an impact that can impact multiple people at once rather than just the one, but still have that direct contact with one. And so I, on that trail, you know, where I thought I was going to go for an informatics fellowship, I was thinking about what do I want? What do I want the ability to do? And I want the ability to have the positive influence for change um, that I can take in feedback from others and apply that and, you know, help not just myself, but help others, both my friends and family, right, who are uh, in within this medical practice. And so as I continued on, it was, how can I do both? You know, can I do fellowship and also have this? And I really wouldn't have been able to devote the time that I wanted to to this. And it was really go hard or go home, like start the company, run the company, see where it can go, see if it can provide value build it to have even more value, integrate into the electronic health record, allow for it to have just-in-time learning, not just on your phone, but on your desktop, to take in patient values, everything that I dreamt for it to do, I couldn't really right. do it unless I really dove in. So I did. So I, I pulled out of the um, fellowship trail, I dove in, I ended up getting my board certification separately um, you know, through the ABPM because I got grandfathered in. And so I uh, really was able to devote the time to the company. Um, and I went what I called full time. You know, I was working about eight nights a month as a hospitalist, but I was still working the days. And uh, after about a year, that became too overwhelming, too. So I started reducing clinical practice even more. And now I work about one day per month as a hospitalist because um, I don't want to lose the clinical practice ability and I don't want to lose my connection to other clinicians and to the patients but I still need the time to be able to devote to this and all the activities that this involves. And so I find myself in the middle of both worlds where the worlds combine, you know, to be able to build a system for clinicians, I still need it to help myself. And so I continually get more insight anytime I do that clinical practice. Yeah, this is, um, this is cool for a couple of reasons. And before we dig in further, there's two things I want you to, if you could kind of define for us and lay the groundwork on first, just-in-time learning in the context that you're using it in your in your role as a hospitalist and then also just how you're seeing it used with your product across organizations and clinicians. So just-in-time and then after that, let's talk about what low-code, no-code tools you referenced that before. Uh, I think it's important. It's something that we use heavily as well at Icona. I know lots of companies are starting to understand just the, the potential of, of leveraging these sorts of solutions. So first, just in time, and then if you could, low code, no code. Yeah. So residency and really the medical system are built on education. It's the idea that you're not just a clinician, but also an educator. And part of the structure of it is to allow for education from those who are more knowledgeable, more experienced to be able to teach those who are not, but then also those who are of similar level or specialists to teach generalists. And the way that education works 
is that it can happen at different times. It can happen as you're studying for board exams, it can happen as you're sitting in a med school lecture, or perhaps most effectively, it can happen right when you need it when you're dealing with a patient. That's called just-in-time learning. That means that you're dealing with it in context. You know, they say if you look up the information that you need right there for that patient, it will stick with you because of that context and because it happens just in time. And so as one of these most effective ways of learning, just-in-time learning is really that gold standard that we strive for. And the second benefit of it is that it also helps improve care, right? If you're able to get the information that you need right when you need it, you're able to give more effective care. And then the third benefit is that you don't feel like you're an inadequate clinician if you want to be able to refresh on it in a way that doesn't impact your efficiency, so to speak, and ability to give care and do multiple things at once, which is expected of clinicians, but still want to be able to double check it because you have the humility to know that things are updated or that you don't remember everything. And so it's the ability to provide all of that would be just in time education or just in time learning. Second part that you asked me about is, okay, so what do we do? What's no code and how do people use it? So I call AVOMD a no code tool for shareable clinical decision support. Okay, so let's tackle each of these different parts. Please. No code tool means that you don't need programming knowledge to be able to contribute to the software. Now we are a platform with two components, two primary components. One component is that which is used by the clinician at the point of care to get just-in-time learning and to you know, have the algorithms that are there and available to help guide or reference management, interpretation of lab tests, diagnosis, whatever is needed within the patient context um, and within the clinical context. But how do these algorithms get built? So in my journey at first, my co-founder and I, PJ and I were building it. As an aside, I think uh, Lawrence has previously been on Slice of Healthcare and that's our third co-founder. And we brought him on as our uh, COO, as a third co-founder um, to help us on the business aspects and to really grow together as a company. When PJ and I had first met, we had been searching for an advisor, took on Lawrence as an advisor and added him on as a third co-founder. So when I say, uh, you know, the original, the OGs are me and PJ um, when we started building it for ourselves as clinicians. And so, um, you know, when we started doing it, we were doing the algorithms ourselves and we were drawing from the literature and from society guidelines, but it came to a point that it's not scalable. We said, okay, how do we make it that our friends can help? Our friends don't know how to code. Like this, is, this isn't gonna work. We have to build something for them to be able to use without them knowing programming. That's a no code solution. It's a drag and drop tool that's kind of like Google Forms that then produces a medical app. So we're a no code tool for building medical apps. Um, the second part of it is the shareable clinical decision support, right? So you're basically producing decision support, the ability to make better medical decisions, reference tools or guidance. And it's shareable because the same way that I used to take my pictures of my algorithms and then send it to people, you want there to be a collaborative community that can use and build on each other's decision support. And so, you know, we made it into this community so that within an organization and an institution, it could be shared. Societies can use it to be able to share their medical society guidelines in a way that's actionable. And then, of course, the clinicians themselves are able to really benefit from it in a way that's sustainable. Okay, this is one of the coolest tools. I've seen it in action in some of your your talks and 
Um, it has so much potential. Obviously, we focus at Icon a lot on patient education, and I can imagine something like this easily making its way into that world because it's already there, frankly, at the point of care, as you've already talked about. Uh, I would, if you would, kind of go into a couple of details of where and how it's being used today, and then obviously I want to hear you talk more about where you want to see it go. So a lot of times when people come on this show, optimism is, is kind of where they're thinking about the next 12 months, the next two years, the next 10 years. You are someone who is, has two feet in the present, has been involved at the point of care, and you're also building for what will be a very exciting road ahead, especially if you're working with some of these organizations where so many clinicians are, are involved. So talk to me a bit about use cases today and then what you're hoping to build for tomorrow. Yeah, so let me tell you it in the shape of a triangle. This isn't the best triangle I could make if you're watching the video, but the basic triangle that I call the Lawrence Triangle um, in honor of our third co-founder. And then I'm going to start at the center, right? So the center is that we are a platform and this platform is a no-code tool for building medical apps and specifically for building clinical decision support. And that means that its use cases already as it exists varies. The ability to build society guidelines, FDA fact sheets, um, help for insurance questions about which medications are covered so that you know that you're sending the patient out on what's actually going to be covered and they're not going to return and beyond because all of this is buildable from the no-code tool. Now to zoom in and form or zoom out and form the triangle, you know, we started now most recently with working with medical societies. Um, for example, the SCCT or the KDGO guidelines here, it's relevant for kidneys, right? And so uh, for kidney care. And so, you know, for example, we built with KDGO some of their guidelines into decision support. Now, it's going to be different for every hospital system and every clinic and every dialysis care center, how exactly they're going to employ these society guidelines. So through our no-code tool, they're able to take it as they wish or to customize it to their own needs as an institution. Now, we do have an analytics layer that sits on top. They're able to see how the clinicians are using it, help guide you know, how is the medical decision making actually happening and get some insight into it in a way that, you know, can allow for the entire medical community to allow for more standardization while also improving care while providing just in time education. It's not forcing clinicians to do something. It's being there as a reference. Now, the third part and the other leg of the triangle is I actually come from the nonprofit world. I started two nonprofits in the education space and um, you know, for me, have since handed it off to different management after we grew them both to international scale. And my heart's still in the both education and nonprofit space. And in the nonprofit world, we like to give away things for free. And so the question is, okay, how do you survive as a company while also being able to give away things for free? The medical societies, we work with them for free. And the hospital systems, we'd like to work with them for free. You know, but how do we survive? So we realized, look, there is a third party that exists, and that's life sciences pharma companies, med device companies. But we are very wary, you know, for me coming from a clinician background of having the influence of pharma or medical devices into the guidelines. So we separate those two, and that's why they're on opposite sides of that triangle, by having the guidelines purely in the hands of our content providers, that's the medical societies or academic hospital systems or health systems, but having some of the funding come to us from pharma to allow for its distribution. So we create content, 
with the societies and with the hospital systems. If the hospital systems want to customize it, they can pay a little bit extra for that. But then we allow for the um, pharma and med device companies and, and you know other industries to get involved in allowing for its distribution, both by having it go out through their teams to interest, interested clinicians, and also allowing us to release it for free for any of the guidelines that we found a distribution sponsorship or a grant effectively to any clinician that wants, whether it's in Epic or being used freehand uh, or you know separate from the EHR on mobile, on web, on our website, um, downloaded in the app store so that everybody can really partake in it in a way that's both unbiased, but still free. Well, as a roadmap, as a mission, as a, um, as a place to drive the company forward and to see all the growth that I know you're going to, to help realize with, with PJ, with Lawrence, uh, I'm obviously rooting for you. I'm really excited for what you're building. Um, and I also know that there are several folks who I've met and talked to who listen to this show who are going to want to connect with you. So before we wrap up, I do want to know how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you're building and possibly partner as content providers and users? Yeah, best way is through the website, avomd.com or avomd.io. They both link to the same place. Uh, you can also search me, Yair Saperstein, on LinkedIn. Um, is the best way to reach out to me. Um, and then you can also email us at info at avomd.io. Those are three different methods of contacting us. We'd be more than happy to have uh, partners, supporters, and anyone else looking to get involved. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. It's always good catching up with you and good to see you and wishing you the best. Yeah, you're, thanks for coming on. Thank you.